0: i glad you made it to Centerpoint. Glad you're here. If you're new with us, my name is John. I'm lead pastor. I'm glad to welcome you. And before I get into the message, I wanted to share an update with you about our French Valley congregation. So if you've been with us for a few years, you would remember that when we started our French Valley congregation, it was to be one church in two locations. And we launched it and we saw God do great things. and over the last year, something has begun to shift and we've, we've sensed that God was on the move in a new way. And in particular, what we've picked up on is that our French Valley congregation has been becoming its own congregation and it, with its own unique flair, its own unique sense of things, its own unique uh, approaches beginning to emerge. And when, when something like that is beginning to happen, you have choices. You can either say, well, hold on, We want to control everything. Or you can say, "Well, it looks like something else is happening and God's moving in a new way. And why don't we join God with what it seems to be that he's doing? And so what we are uh, doing is we're, we're releasing the French Valley congregation to become its own church. We're in the middle of that process right now of just figuring out what that's going to look like. And it's exciting. It's exciting. What we originally envisioned as... Sort of, it'll be ours. God, in a sense, has said, I'll have that, please. And so, and so we're releasing it. And, and it's an exciting thing. that. And for every one of you who has been a part of the French Valley campus along the way, I'm so grateful for what you've done. Maybe you didn't even realize it, but what you were actually doing was helping to plant and launch a brand new church so that God's kingdom is furthered and expanded even more than we imagined. And so uh, we'll, we'll probably be finishing that transition up around uh, end of September or so. We're working out the details as we go, but I'm so excited for Pastor Justin and Chelsea and uh, excited for what God's done through us to help launch this new congregation. So now we can celebrate that and say, yay, God, yay, God, yay, God. It's good news. So (laughs) I wanted to just uh, tell you a little something that that I kind of love when it happens, and it's a little bit silly, but it's like this, I'm on the freeway, and I'm driving, and and, it, you know, traffic's moving like 10 miles an hour. And I see in my rearview mirror, there's a guy on a motorcycle coming. And, and he's, he's uh, enjoying lane splitting. And so he's moving, moving, moving. And I decide to, to move because I drive a bigger truck. I drive it and move it out of the way a little bit. Make some room for motorcycle guy to, to lane split right on past me. And then right when he passes me, he gives me that sign. That sign. It's this one. You know that one? You've seen it, right? This one. And when he does that, he's talking to me. He's talking to me. And what he's saying is, you are an incredible human being. You've just made the world a better place. You add value to the planet. You're part of the cool club now, son. I mean, that's what he's saying to me. I mean, he can't turn and talk to me because he's driving. But I heard him loud and clear. He's saying, you are an amazing person. There's no one better than you. You are awesome. And I love you, man. I mean, that's what he was saying to me. I heard it. I heard it. I mean, I know, it's, I know it's silly, but but I love it. I, sometimes I just move out of the way extra just to make sure that I get this thing, you know, because of how it makes me feel <laughs> appreciated <laughs> and loved. <laughs> Even if it is by some random stranger on a motorcycle I'll probably never see ever again in my life. But I think it's true. Like All of us crave those moments, those experiences where we can feel loved and appreciated and you know, we'll, we'll probably take it wherever we can get it. I mean, I'll know, I'll take that appreciation and love wherever I can get it. In fact, I've got some proof. I've got some proof right here that I'll take it wherever I can get it. See, I was in, in Cabo San Lucas a year and a half ago, and I decided I'd get some love from this guy. And yeah, it got, it got, it got real, it got real. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was love. But I, you know, we want that. We crave that, that warmth and that, that affection, right? Come on, <laughs> yeah, things you can do in Mexico, right? So, yeah, we we want that that warmth, that affection, that sense of, yeah, appreciation. Even if it comes from a whiskery sea lion, you know, and that love. That uh, yeah, that was a little bit too much love. But anyway, that that's uh, quite the kiss, quite the memorable kiss. I'm sure a lot of us can relate to this desire we have, right? To know that we're appreciated, to know that we're that we're loved, and it's something that. That I believe God actually wants for us. He's designed us to live from a place of healthy identity. And part of the experience of a healthy identity is knowing that you are, in fact, loved because it gives you a sense of security and strength to live from a center that is grounded. And so it's something that God has inherently designed us to experience. It's something that we need. It's something that we're made for. But sometimes our sense of healthy identity gets, uh, gets distorted because we, we end up making some choices and maybe doing some things that, that take us way off course and all of a sudden we're standing there in front of the distortion mirror right and so there I am and I see myself in the distortion mirror and I have half a face I don't know if you can see it can you yeah see I have half a face look at me I'm such a screw up I have half of a face what kind of a person am I look what I did I wrecked my life I can't believe what a fool I've been I can't believe I did that. I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm worthless. God could never love me. In light of what I did, I deserve nothing but punishment. I should just be afraid. That's all. I mean, look at me. And we end up doing time in front of the distortion mirror and believing the lies that come from that kind of a moment. And it messes with us. It distorts our sense of our own identity And there are whole religious systems that also partner with that kind of a voice to purvey a a sense of of God as one who's out to get anybody who's crossed him. And as a result, many of us have done time living with a deep sense of shame and, and a twisted sense of our own identity. And its result is... Fear and shame and anger. <laughs> and, and I just want to say that is not what God wants for us. Right. What God wants for us is something altogether different. In fact, there's a moment recorded in Scripture where Jesus is spending time hanging out with people who were royally messing up their lives. And they're, you know, they're, they're drinking themselves into a stupor and uh, not, not making the most of things, to put it lightly. But Jesus decides, I'm going to spend time with these people. A desire to be with them and uh, the religious community was in a uproar. couldn't believe that Jesus would hang out with people like that and and Jesus wanted his own disciples and everyone else to get a different vision of God he wanted them to understand that their idea of who God is as as the deity who's out to get whoever crosses him is warped and that there's a different way to live. And, and so Jesus tells these stories in Luke chapter 15, these stories that are geared around a vision of God, a revelation of who God is as one who can turn a person's story around and a revelation of God as one who rejoices when somebody who's far from him wakes up and, and, and turns toward him. And that's that's what he's trying to get across, and, and he's telling story after story, but the disciples still seem to be not quite getting it, so he tells another story. and We're going to jump into Luke chapter 15 in a moment, and this, uh, this is called the story of the prodigal son. You now, That title isn't actually part of the, the Bible verse. It's just something that the compilers of the scriptures over the years have given as a, as a subtitle to it. But you could also call it the story of the amazing, scandalous love of a father for two kinds of sons. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is a little bit of what's going on in the story, and it's, it's a story that Jesus is telling to make a point, but I want us to just get into this story together now. So you can turn to Luke chapter 15, and let's get into God's, God's word together. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. You gotta imagine this scenario. You've got a a wealthy man with a couple of kids and the one kid comes to him and says, you just might as well drop dead. I mean, that's kind of the dynamic when he says, I want my inheritance now. And inheritance is something that comes usually after a person dies. And so for this son to just say, no, I want it now. Give it all to me right this moment. It's like as though he's saying, you're dead to me. You might as well just be dead. And there's so much diss, there's so much... Dishonor, and when I when I read that, it's easy for me to just sit there and kind of shake my head. Well, what an entitled, bratty son that is! I can't believe he would do such a thing. And, and there's there's some truth to that. I, mean, I think the son is uh, is engaging in a whole lot of dishonor, and it is a slap in the face to the man who raised him. But what happens next is he, he takes his whole inheritance and he goes off into what the scriptures just kind of sum up as wild living. Everyone say wild living. <laughs> wild living, and you know, you can let your imagination go a little bit with this one. I mean, who knows? I mean, it's, he's, he's off to Vegas and and then he's off to LA, and it's another club every night. And, and who knows what wild living in the dusty days of first century Palestine looks like, but probably if you can imagine it, he probably did it. And who knows, tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars, maybe even the equivalent of millions of dollars, just wasted, completely wasted. And when, when this son set out into this wild living, He was dissing his dad. And it's easy for me to sit here today and judge this uh, fictional character in this story and shake my head about what he did. But what if I saw myself in that story a little bit? Because I kind of did something like this prodigal son. I asked my dad, my heavenly father, to give me the inheritance. I did. I said, I'm asking you to forgive all my sin, and I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking for the whole inheritance right here and right now. And my God did that. I'll share a little bit of my story with you just in summary form. But I'm 14 years old, and I'm sitting there in this youth group, and I hear that I could be forgiven, and that I could have the hope of heaven, and I I raised my hand to say yes to Jesus. And in that moment, I received my inheritance, The gift of salvation from God. I received all of it, all of the inheritance, the forgiveness of my sins, the empowerment of the Spirit, and the hope of heaven. I received my inheritance, and then I wandered off. I wandered off away from the people of God, away from the ways of God, and, and I went into my own season of wild living, and I'll spare you the gory details, but this period of my life ended up with me you know, crashing and burning and kind of wrecking the ship of my life on the shores of a bunch of partying and drugs and a pregnant girlfriend and three fiancés that weren't Ann Hansen and getting kicked out of the college that I had uh, worked hard to get into and be a part of. And, and, and it was a difficult and painful moment. And, and in those days, after all of that stuff happened, all of a sudden I began having a little bit of time with this bad boy. And in that moment, it was like the mirror was talking to me and saying, look what you did to your life. You've ruined your life. You're never gonna to amount to anything. You're never going to get anywhere. You're a failure. You're a fool. You've ruined everything. And God doesn't have any heart for you anymore because look what you did. You wasted every opportunity. You've destroyed what you were given. And that voice emblazoned a sense of identity on me that drove me to a place of despair, real darkness, when you embrace a false sense of identity about who you are that doesn 't line up with what God says, it leads to darkness and that 's where I was and I finally came to my senses and began to acknowledge my need for god and i don 't know exactly what happened in this in this story i mean it 's a fictional story anyway, so we can feel free to imagine at will but this prodigal son ended up coming to his senses. And it says in verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and I'll say, father, I've sinned against heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. You know, when this son you know, began to head out to, to you know, spend his inheritance in wild living, I don't think he was probably imagining, I'm gonna go and ruin my life. He probably wasn't thinking that at all. He was probably thinking, sweet, I've got resources, I've got money, I'm gonna go live it up. It's gonna be amazing. And he just went into that season of just, I'm gonna just do whatever I have a desire to do. Who cares what happens? And the thing is though, Sin is damaging, I and mean, that's part of the reality, is part of why God's word is so clear about calling us to repent from sin and to steer our lives away from the wreckage of sin because it, it damages, it disrupts, it harms ourselves and others, and, and, and part of what sin damages is our sense of identity. Because on the other side of all those so-called good times, wild living, what you end up with is a person who, who is identifying himself now in terms of his unworthiness. Did you catch it? I'm no longer worthy of even being called your son. And sin has that kind of a damaging effect. Apart from God's grace, that's where it leaves us, with a warped sense of our identity as worthless, And that's what's happening in this story. He's left to feel worthless. And when our identity is so warped that we feel worthless, we often end up with an impulse to try to work to prove our worthiness somehow, or to work and and somehow earn a right standing somehow. That's tiresome, it's exhausting. It's not really what God ever made us for. And in fact, what that reflects is a spirit of of slavery. And and so the message I came to bring tonight is just simply this, that that, that the invitation in this scripture is to exchange a spirit of slavery for a spirit of sonship. And and if you really think through this story as we read it together that Jesus told, that's the invitation to exchange a spirit of slavery for a, a spirit of sonship. This story has a point. You know, the, if you go back to those words that the prodigal son uh, said in verse 19, I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. On one hand, you look at those and you might think, you know what, this is good. He's, he's somehow acknowledging his wrong and he, there seems to be something that looks like humility in, in his moment there and the words that he's saying. He seems to kind of have a a lowly spirit. And those things seem good, but they are coming from a warped and twisted sense of identity. They're coming from a place of defining himself by his own unworthiness. That is, by definition, a spirit of slavery. A spirit of slavery is a condition in which we define and identify ourselves in terms of our unworthiness, and our expectation is for fear and punishment. That's the spirit of slavery. The spirit of sonship is one where we are able to identify ourselves in terms of our worth and our value ascribed to us by God, and it comes with an expectation of God's goodness coming into our lives. Do you see how diametrically opposed these things are? Do you see how different these two spirits are? And the scriptures declare in Romans eight fifteen that if you're a believer, as a believer, you have received a spirit of sonship. There's something of the goodness of God inside of you that, that would cry out to your heavenly father as daddy. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality in the scriptures that there's a spirit of sonship. Galatians chapter four, verse six puts it like this. It says, because we're his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, say it with me, Abba, Abba, Father. And now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God made you his heir. You, You have the spirit of Jesus in you that would prompt you to cry out, Abba, Father. Everyone say this, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Abba is this uh, ancient Middle Eastern word that would be the equivalent of our word, Daddy. And, and so in a real way, both here in Galatians 4 and in Romans 8.15 and in what we've even read in the prodigal son, there's something in the heart of God that desires for us to know ourselves in terms of our relationship with him as Daddy. And so for some of us, I know, especially if we're grown men, maybe we feel like it sounds a little childish to talk about praying to God as daddy. But that's what Jesus has in mind. In fact, Jesus said, look, if you, if you want to really come to God, you come with a childlike faith. You come with the clear, simple, un, unsub, you know, uncomplicated heart that a child would bring that would recognize he, he's my father, he's my daddy, and I can depend on him that way. And so I'm, I'm asking you to consider stepping, stepping into that way of knowing and relating to God. And to do so knowing that you have a, a scriptural foundation for it, and the spiritual impulse from God is in you to do it, to begin to pray and know God as daddy a good father who will do right by you and does have a love for you. We might have to unlearn some familiar patterns that come from the slave spirit. The the spirit of slavery brings brings us into a place where we feel like we've got to earn God's love, where we've got to measure up before he could possibly love us. We might need to unlearn some of those patterns if we're going to actually embrace the spirit of sonship. Because the spirit of sonship is one in which you know that you're a beloved child and that it wasn't based on what you did, it was based on who God is. And that's the spirit that is in you, the spirit of sonship, the spirit of knowing who you are as a child of God. Let me me go back to the the story Jesus told in verse 20. It says, so the son, he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. Okay, so this is just a fictional story, right? I know. Doesn't it make you want to clap? Let the party begin. It's a story that Jesus is making up on the fly to tell, uh, make a point. But are we understanding the point? Can we see what Jesus is really driving at? That, that what Jesus is calling for and what he wants for us is to, to personally experience the return to the Father. And to personally experience a return to a right understanding of ourselves in terms of who we are as loved children of God. That's really the point that Jesus is driving at here. He's saying, I know I know, you've gotten so good and you've gotten so used to this kind of religious way of understanding God as the great almighty faraway deity, which we should approach with very cautious feelings you know (laughs) Jesus is saying could you just lighten up with all your religious badness for just a minute and could you return to to a childlike faith and return to the father and experience the return to the father on a personal level and I think this is what what Jesus is inviting you and I to 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 do verse 20 one more time again it said So this son, he he returned home to his father. He returned home to his father. Let's just pause for a moment. I I wanted to make sure that you heard this loud and clear. You can always return home to the father. No matter what pig farm you've been on and whatever mess you've made and come through, you can always return home to the Father. I believe Jesus wants every one of us to hear this. For some of us, we need to hear it right now because here we are in church, but no one else even knows where we're actually coming from. But the word from Jesus in a story he made up is you can always return home to the Father. For somebody else, this needs to go into your spirit like a seed because in a later day, it needs to be able to grow, that you know that you can always return home to the father. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Could you just recognize something? What this means is that the father, and it's an allegory, right? It's a metaphor for the heart posture of of God towards us. While he was still a long way off, the father, it's as though he's, he's eagerly waiting, eagerly looking forward to when the moment might happen when this son could maybe begin to return and he's on the lookout for that moment for how it could happen and when it could happen and he's on the lookout our God is on the lookout for any one of us who are off in some wild living kind of deal and he's looking wondering and hoping that we will have our own moment of beginning to return and what I love is that he doesn't even wait for the sun to make it all the way back to where he's supposed to get to and this is a picture of what our God is like. He doesn't even maybe wait for you to make it all the way back. He runs and meets you halfway, meets you in the middle while you're still on the journey. This is a picture that Jesus is giving us of what God is like. And he's, I believe he's on the move towards some of us right now in a personal way. He's been eagerly looking, and you've begun to come to your senses. And God sees it, and he's, he's come. It says while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Read the last part of it out loud with me. Ready? Say it. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Filled with love and compassion. I don't know. If I had never read this story before and the rest of it was covered up and all I saw was filled with, I would put something else in there. Filled with indignation. That son of mine, who does he think he is? Stealing my money, wasting the inheritance, bringing shame to our family. I'm coming for him. You know, I might have put that in as the next line. But, But this is a picture that Jesus is painting of what God is like. And he says, and the father filled with love and compassion. Jesus is revealing the father to you. He's saying, you need to know this is what God is like. He's a good father and his heart is filled with love and compassion. First of all, filled with love. Filled with the love that is unique to a a parent-child connection. The love that's there between a, a parent and a child is so strong, and even when your kid goes off the rails, you can't help it. You still have this heart that wants to connect and keep that connection alive because your, your love for them is, is unbreakable. I mean, that's the kind of picture that Jesus is giving us here. And, and it says this, this father who reflects God, his heart was filled with compassion. Do you know what compassion is? Compassion is the ability to imagine and understand the pain and the challenge that somebody's going through and even the reasons why what happened, happened. And and so Jesus is revealing that God has that kind of a heart towards you and me, compassion. He can feel it. He can understand it. He can even comprehend why what happened, happened in ways that go beyond even your ability to put it into words. This is a picture of what God is like. He's filled with compassion. Then it says he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. Uh, (laughs) This is ancient Middle East and and a wealthy man doesn't just up and start pulling up his robes and start running. Like, it just doesn't happen. That's just not the way things are done. Wealthy older man has servants that he would send to do the running for him. And so it's a word picture that maybe it's a little lost on us. But it wouldn't have been to anybody listening to Jesus. An older man just takes off running towards his son? No, 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 no. It would would be a little scandalous. And Jesus is in a sense saying, that's right. And, And this is what our God is like. He comes running. He comes running. And he comes running to you in Jesus. People think about religion as our attempt to sort of make our way to God. But what Jesus is revealing is that God has made his way to you, and he has run into your life story in Jesus, run right up into the the pages of your pain in Jesus, ready with compassion and love to come and embrace you. And that's what it says. It says he embraced him. Where was this kid coming from? A pig farm. We're talking about a Jewish culture, and most of us would understand that in, 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 Jewish culture is not known for the love of pigs, you know? Jewish culture is known for actually recognizing pigs as an unclean animal. And therefore, some kid coming from a pig farm would be ceremonially unclean. But that didn't stop the father. he embraced him anyway. I'm not afraid of whatever pig farm contamination is on you. And it's a revelation of our Heavenly Father, I'm not afraid of whatever uncleanness your life while living has brought my way. I can handle it. I can still embrace you even though you did X, Y, and Z. I can still embrace you even though you're coming from this place and did that stuff. I can still embrace you. Aren't you grateful that this is what God is like? That he's not standing there with his arms across his chest going, filthy filthy, I can't even believe it, you know, but instead that he's just, without even a thought, just embracing, and then kissing that son, kissing that son, who others might have looked at it and said, he doesn't deserve a kiss, the only thing that face deserves is a five-star reward, right across one side, and then right across the other for what he did to you, this is not the way of God, right. his, his way is, the, is a kiss, an expression of such intimate affection. And, and what it signifies is God's desire for relationship with you more than his desire for your attempts at your own religiosity and righteousness. This is, this is Jesus revealing the father. And then the dad says, go get the... Go get the Go get the, uh, the robe and bring the ring and get the fatted cap, all of these things, and they all mean something. First of all, it says, bring him the finest robe. And, and the robe signifies the righteousness of Jesus that God is willing to give to us. Just when we thought we needed to try to prove our own righteousness. This father says, no, let me put the finest robe on the son. And it's what God is willing to do for any of us, to put the robe of the righteousness of Jesus on us. We do need to be covered, but he's the one who does the covering. We don't do it ourselves. That's part of the good news of the gospel, is that he's willing to bring the covering of the robe of righteousness. And then it says, bring the ring. The ring in an ancient Middle Eastern family is a sign of full inclusion. The ring is a sign of the ability of that person to use all of the resources of the family. The ring in this ancient Middle Eastern culture is a signal that all of the family's stuff, he's got access to, all of it. (laughs) And then bring him sandals. Bring him sandals. Why? Because... Uh, We might object to some of this in in, in, in a sense, but a servant would not be wearing sandals. A slave would not be wearing sandals, but a son in that kind of household is wearing sandals. This father is completely restoring this sonship in this moment. Bring the fatted calf, a fatted calf. This is a, a sign of celebration. It's like the father is saying, you're worthy of being celebrated. Yeah, even though you did this and you were over there doing that, nevertheless, as you have come back to me, you are worthy of celebration. And this is a depiction of the father. So we, we, we talked about the one son, but let's talk about the other son. In verse 25, it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of his servants what was going on. Well, your brother's back, he was told, and your father killed the fattened calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return, and the older brother was angry. He wouldn't go in. His father came out and pegged him, but he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do, and in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when that son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. But now he's found. Do you see the spirit of slavery at work in this older brother? In this translation, he even uses the word, I've slaved for you. And I think it's important that we understand the invitation in this story Jesus told to personally exchange a spirit of slavery, religious slavery, for a spirit of sonship. So let me just break down what a spirit of slavery and what a spirit of sonship is all about. A spirit of slavery relates to God on the basis of what they do. If I do more, maybe I'll be loved more. Spirit of slavery thinks they need to work for what they're going to get from God. A spirit of slavery is about being motivated by fear of God's anger. A spirit of slavery is about thinking of God as a slave master. A spirit of slavery keeps God at a distance. A spirit of slavery keeps the rules out of fear. A spirit of slavery is about living in a sense of insecurity about where they stand with the master. A spirit of slavery is always striving and striving to get God's approval. A spirit of slavery resents other people's blessings from God. It's not something that's worth living with. It's something to get rid of, the spirit of slavery. This older brother needs to make the exchange. Maybe some of us do too, need to make the exchange. Because the spirit of sonship is this. The spirit of sonship is about seeing God as a loving father and being motivated by gratitude for the father's love. Spirit of sonship is about experiencing discipleship in Jesus as a joy and a delight and not an obligation. The spirit of sonship is about being able to love and bless other people well. Spirit of sonship is about being able to truly celebrate other people's success with humility and gladness. Spirit of sonship is about knowing that you're valued by the Father. Spirit of Sonship is knowing that you have access to all of God's love. A Spirit of Sonship is knowing that your provision and your protection come from God freely and not as a payment for something you did. A Spirit of Sonship is about knowing that you're clothed with the righteousness that comes from Jesus. Spirit of Sonship is about knowing that you're loved and forgiven even when you've messed up. The spirit of sonship is about knowing that you could never earn God's love, but that you're covered by it because it's a gift. You know, the truth is, the world around us is pretty messed up. I feel it is anyway. I mean, some days things look good, but in in many ways there just seems to be so much deterioration. And it's like as though the world is, is crying out. You know what the world is crying out for? for you for you to live in the spirit of sonship Romans 8:19 it says all creation is groaning with an eager expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed This world needs you to make the exchange and to live from this spirit of sonship where you would just embrace all that I just described and let go of all of the religious performance stuff and that slavery mentality. You just let it go and live in the freedom and the delight of what it means to be a son and a daughter and to live that out. It's what you're made for. It's who you are meant to be. (laughs) Amen. Amen. So I was, uh, I was digging through a drawer in the dining room this past week. I was looking for a, a charger, and, and I, I pulled this thing out of the back of the drawer. I was like, oh, what's this? And, and I, I pulled it out of the drawer, and it's this little desk nameplate. It says, Mr. Wonderful. And, and, I, and I just held on to it for a minute, and I just remembered what happened. What happened was... My wife, Anne, gave this to me on Valentine's Day, I think about a year and a half ago. And on Valentine's Day, it made sense. I mean, because I had given her a nice gift and we had had some nice time together, had a nice date. So sure, you know, <laughs> Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> but a few weeks after Valentine's Day, I don't even remember what it was about, but we got into some kind of a big fight. And listen, don't think that just because I'm a pastor that we don't have moments, right? And and this was a one of those uh, knock down, drag out. I mean, not physically, but you know, knock down, drag out kinds of moments. And enough that you know, it, it just you know, I, I came down the stairs all frustrated, and, and we didn't solve whatever the issue was, and uh, heat was high, and <clears throat> and I saw this thing sitting on the dining room table. And I picked it up, and I just was trying to break it. I couldn't break it because it's too hard. So I shoved it into a drawer, in the back of this drawer, and stomped out of the house and just stomped around the neighborhood, just angry, you know. Can you believe it? Sorry. I mean, if if that troubles you, that your pastor does that kind of thing, I'm sorry, but um, I'm a guy who just has moments, right? And I don't even remember what that fight was about. I just remember feeling in that moment like, This was no longer true. Whatever that meant, Mr. Wonderful, no. I feel like Mr. Jerk, Mr. Dumb Something, Mr. Obnoxious, Mr. Disappointment, Mr. Letdown, or whatever else you might put on there in a moment like that. That's what I was feeling. That's why I wanted to break it when I shoved it in that drawer. And I don't know what happened with that particular fight. I just don't remember. But I do know this that a year and a half later, we're still happily married. <laughs> and, and just today, m- before I, I left to come here, my wife you know hugged me and said, you're wonderful. I mean, she didn't say, Mr. Wonderful, but... And the reason, the reason for that is because we have a covenant. And what that means is that even though I had a, a, a not-so-good moment a year and a half ago, whatever it was, I don't remember, that's not the only thing that I have. We also have a covenant, a covenant based on, on love. And you and I have a covenant based on love with our Heavenly Father. And He's always willing to accept you as you return to Him. And I hope that you could hear that loud and clear in this simple story Jesus told and to make the exchange exchange that spirit of slavery for a spirit of sonship it's what you're made for and your identity will be strongest when you do this so I want to pray for you that that you'd be able to make the exchange if you need to maybe for some of us we've, we've worked through this kind of thing but others of us maybe now's the time For somebody else, though, I want you to hear this, that it is by faith in Jesus that you become children of God. Galatians 3.26 says it like this. It says, you're all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And, And so this spirit of sonship, being a child of God, there is a starting point for it, and it's faith in Jesus. And so for some of us tonight, I want to just simply invite you to put your faith in Jesus And to experience the relief that comes when he forgives your sins and washes you clean and sets you free and plants in you the seed of hope for a future in heaven and puts inside of you the power of his Holy Spirit to live different here and now. So let's take a moment. Let's just pray together. Can we do that? Why don't you pray with me for a moment? God, I thank you for your word and I thank you for a simple story that Jesus made up on the spot one day to just make sure that people would get it. That God, you really are that good. And God, I ask for help because in so many ways we've spent so much time in religious environments where we've come up with all of these complicated systems to make you out to be something different than what Jesus revealed in this story. And I guess I would say, God, would you forgive us for doing that? Us in a collective sense over the years. And now, God, I also ask that you would come and rewire us, recalibrate our hearts to be able to see you differently. To see you the way Jesus described as a good father. And in this moment, God, I pray for any one of us who need to make the exchange to be able to do so. To exchange the spirit of slavery for a spirit of sonship. To be the kind of people that would be able to cry out, Abba, Daddy, God. So I pray, Father, for an awakening in this moment. First of all, I pray for believers to be awakened. Some of us who are here tonight, we're believers, but we really do need to shift our perspective of who God really is and maybe tonight you might acknowledge I need to shift my perspective I need to exchange this spirit of, of slavery for the spirit of sonship if, if that's you if you'd say I need God to help me with this I need some help to do this I just want you to raise your hand as a way of saying this is a struggle for me I I, I see it as right and good but I need God to help me with it a few of us raising our hands I appreciate that now I pray God that you would come miraculously right now and just simply set some people free from a a spirit of religious slavery and uh, thinking that keeping the rules is how we're going to make you happy I just pray for a supernatural deliverance from that right here and right now and I pray God for the miracle of a spirit of sonship to rise up in us in new ways that we'd have such a closeness with you that it would make sense to think of you as Daddy, I pray for that. Jesus, I believe you wanted it. I think I'm asking for something that's in keeping with what you revealed, so would you do it? For somebody else, if you're here today and you've never begun following Jesus, that's exciting. Today, you can start following Jesus. You could ask him to forgive your sin and save your life, and he'll do it. It's his gift that he's glad to give you. Maybe you should ask him for it. And if you're here tonight and you'd say, I think I want to do that. I want to ask Jesus to forgive me and save me. I just want you to right now raise your hand. That would be your way of taking a first step to say, I want to ask Jesus to forgive me and save me. Just raise your hand up as taking that first step to say yes to him. Okay, thank you. Anyone else? I don't want to miss you. Thank you. That's great. A couple of you. Now you just pray for a moment. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm asking you to forgive my sin and save me. I'm yours from this moment on. Thank you for the gift of new life. I receive it now by faith. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.